Welcome to Roman's Road, the podcast of me, Eddie Roman. This is where we talk about evangelism and apologetics and all kinds of Christian stuff. Today we are going to be talking about relativism. This is a thought that what is true to you is true to you, and what is true to me is true to me, and never the twain shall meet. This is actually a very common thought. Thanks to a lot of colleges, a lot of philosophy, and a lot of, um, quite frankly, nonsense. This is something that a lot of people claim they believe. One of those things is it's easy to say in order for people to try to stay away from truth, stay away from the God of the Bible. Very easy thing to throw out there in an argument, and yet no one actually lives this way. So we'll get more into that in a moment. Okay, so I'm going to set the stage for the conversation, a guy by the name of Arthur. I was open-air preaching at Oceanside, which is my uh, normal spot these days, with my friend Brett. Brett is someone who went through Living Waters Ambassadors Academy, learned how to open-air preach there. And now him and I go out together and open-air preach. So we were open-air preaching, and then after I was done... I step off the box, I I see these three guys hanging out, they've been listening, they've been watching for a while, and I say, hey, so what'd you guys think about that? Now, that's a very good question that you can ask people who are listening to open-air preaching, whether you're the one preaching or not. I like to tell people that an open-air preaching spot or outreach or event or whatever you want to call it, when a guy's up standing on the box talking about Jesus in public... That is one of the easiest places in the world to get into a conversation about Jesus with a non-Christian. You know, when we're thinking about evangelism, one of the things we always think is, man, how do I get into this subject? How do I break the ice? How do I bring this up? Well, when you're in an open-air preaching area, that is a place where someone's open-air preaching and there's people sitting around listening, the subject is officially brought up. It's already out there. And it's very easy just to walk up to someone after the preaching's over, or maybe you might see someone, they're listening for a few minutes, and then they start looking at their phone and kind of fidgeting, and they're acting like they're about to leave. It's very easy to walk up to that person and say, so what do you think of that guy? And more often than not, they will tell you. And sometimes it'll be good, sometimes it'll be bad, but you are now officially in a conversation about Jesus Christ. And so open-air preaching is not just for the open-air preacher or for the person listening. It's also for Christians who just want a good place to witness. And so just kind of keep that in mind. If, if, if anyone you know is an open-air preacher or they have been going out, don't think that if you go with them, you have to open-air preach. Go with them for the sake of just witnessing to the other people who are listening. It's a great opportunity. So anyway, I walk up to these three guys and I say, hey, so what'd you think about that? And one of them basically said, well, I think you're doing a great job of delivering your propaganda in a way that people are listening to it. And it made me laugh. I said, so what do you believe? What are are you into? And he said, well, I'm, I'm a spiritist. And I said, oh, really? Can I interview you? And he said, yeah, absolutely. So that's how this interview happened. So anyway, here we go. My interview with Arthur, the spiritist. Arthur, what do you think happens after we die? Where do we go? To me, that is unknown. Uh, I believe that we are light. We are, we are stardust. 
So um, we, we go back to being starless. Okay, now you told me you were a, a spiritualist or you're a spiritual person. Um, what, what exactly does that mean? It means that I personally believe that there is um, more than just me in this universe, but I look outwards to respect who I am inwards. I respect who I am inwards first and then display that same respect outwards. Okay, now you told me that we're stardust. Usually when I hear that, I'm, I'm talking to a person who is a materialist, that is someone who thinks that we've evolved out of the stars basically and, and all there is to this life is just matter and motion. You told me you were a spiritual person. How do the two fit together? Um, I'm not saying that there is one way or that we just came from just one thing. Um, but what I am saying is that there is a possibility of that stardust being the creation of everything. And whether it be consciousness or whether it be whatever you, des you define as God, right? That is where we came from. Are you saying that each one of us, we have the, the privilege or the right to determine what we believe God is? Uh, yes, yes we do. So I can say that this bird right here, this bird over here, I can say that it's not a bird, but that's just my internal thoughts, right? I can say that it's just a, a living a, a, a creature, a, a creature with a thought process. That's what it is. Uh, that, that's, that's what it, God is to me, essentially. So are you saying that we determine truth based on ourselves and not on any forces that are outside of us? Oh, of course. And the, the reason why I say that is because whatever situation you're in today, you decided to be here. You decided to record me. You decided to, you know, I decided to be here. I decided to be recorded. So, I mean, we're in control of where we are at. But we're more so, we, we, more, we more so have to think about how we're going to react to the situation. We can't say things happen to us. We are there because we put ourselves there. I would agree with you to an extent. I would say that we do have the ability to change our circumstances and to do things. And I, I would say truth is relative in certain areas, like, like, for instance, art or food. You know, maybe you like chocolate, ice cream, I like strawberry. And that's our truth. But I would say that there are other areas of reality where we can't determine what is true. For instance, not everyone gets to be an NFL football player, no matter how hard we want it. Another area that can be looked at as true. Um, do, do you mind if I cut you off for a second? Um, in one of the Bible, I, I see you guys like to talk about the Bible a lot. Correct. There's a thing called the tiller of the mind. The, the tiller or the, um, what, what, what is it? The tiller or the... I, I've never heard this word before, so... Maybe you could just describe it to me. Uh, oh, the, t the tiller, the man who tills the ground. The tiller of the ground or the, uh, what, what is it? Was it the, the, the sower of the, of the seed? The man who tills the ground, like the farmer who carves into the ground? Is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, a man can plant an idea in, in his head, right? A man can plant an idea in his head and it'll grow. You are what you think. That's basically what the Bible is telling you. You are what you believe. Actually, the, the Bible doesn't say that. Could you, could you tell me where exactly it says that? It doesn't say it exactly. Um, it's under interpretation.
Okay, that's Arthur. A couple things in there. Obviously, he is into relativism. He makes up his own truth, and we will get more into that as this conversation goes on. Another thing that he said that's another common misconception is that what the Bible means, the meaning here, is up to me to decide what it is. That just goes along with their entire worldview that reality is true based on what I think that truth is. I'm going to get into that with Arthur. Again, this is something that you will face often if you are explaining the gospel, explaining the Bible to anyone, just because this is part of our culture now. This is one of the foundations of American society. This is how people think. So we're going to keep going with Arthur here. It's under interpretation. How do we know that? Like, how do we determine truth? Does, does it come? Because of the wavelength of our consciousness is on this earth. This is what is true. This is what's real, right? But that doesn't mean that I can't change the wavelength of my consciousness to be somewhere else. That's what we do in dreams all the time. We change our consciousness to somewhere else, and that is reality. I mean, when you fall, you wake up. But So are you saying that uh, um, reality when we're awake is the same as reality when we're dreaming in some way? In, in, some, in some sorts of the, yeah, in some sorts of the word, yeah. Um, first of all, I'm wondering how many times Arthur has watched the movie Inception, because this kind of is sounding like a little bit like Inception. And one of the things you'll notice with people who are kind of making up their own religion as they go along, they will pull from culture. They will pr- pull from movies. They'll pull from whatever seems true, seems right to them. And so often people will bring up the movie The Matrix and they'll say things like, well, how do we really know that all this we're seeing isn't really some fake reality and we're really living in The Matrix? That movie and movies like Inception and other movies that kind of challenge reality, they all kind of fit into the worldview of someone who basically determines truth based on what they feel. And that's what it comes down to. I don't feel like I want to follow God. I'm going to make up my own truth. And people have been doing it since, you know, the beginning of time. And basically it just comes down to, I'm going to do what I want. One of the things you'll notice with me as far as how I'm interacting with Arthur is I'm asking him a lot of questions. Doing that for two reasons. One, I want to see how firm he is on his belief. Does he, has he really thought this through? And another thing, I want to know where it is that I'm going to hone in on to deal with. You know, People are going to say a lot of things when you talk to them, and it's really easy to get caught up in rabbit trails. It's easy to, to get caught in some frivolous thing or something that's not really that important to them. I'm just going to listen for a while and see what is it this person's faith is in. That's what it comes down to. I'm here to preach the gospel. I'm here to tell this person or any person the way you get right with God is by putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the reason I'm going to listen to someone for a while is to figure out what is this person's faith in currently? Are they trusting in themselves? Are they trusting in Islam? Are they trusting in what their philosophy teacher told them? What is it? Because at some point in this conversation, I'm going to tell them they need to repent. They need to turn from what they have their faith in currently and put that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I just like to ask a lot of questions, and it just helps me to clarify for them personally what it is they need to put their faith in. Now, there's actually a book by a guy named Greg Kokel, and this book is called Tactics. 
And if you're involved in any kind of evangelism, you need to get this book. It is that good and that important as far as talking to people and interacting with them on an apologetic level. It's kind of one of the basic books that every evangelist should have. Another thing about Arthur is is he's really making me think, man, if this guy became a Christian or if he got interested in Christianity, it'd be very easy for him to fall into the prosperity gospel, the name it and claim it kind of thing, the gospel, which isn't really the gospel, but it's basically a way for people who call themselves Christians to get what they want. Because the way he's thinking, it's kind of the same thing as the positive confession prosperity movement. He's basically saying, I have the power within me to do what I want and get what I want. So it's something interesting to think about. So with a guy like Arthur, and I don't know him, I'm just guessing here, he seems like he enjoys talking about this kind of thing. He's into philosophy. He's thought some of these things through. And so if we wanted to, we could talk forever about this stuff. But I have a goal. I want to talk about the gospel. So I'm going to shift gears here, and I'm going to let him know I'm shifting gears here. I'm going to do it in a very straightforward way. He's always welcome to say, no, I don't want to talk about that. But I'm going to try to jump off the philosophy track and get onto the gospel. So this is how I do it. All right, we've been getting kind of philosophical here. I can tell you're a very philosophical kind of thinker. We're going to move from the area of philosophy to the area of uh, the conscience. Let me ask you this. Would you consider yourself to be a good person? I know I'm a good person. Okay. Do you mind if I ask some questions to see if that's true? I'm not going to judge you, but you're going to judge yourself. Is that okay? Uh, yeah. How many lies do you think you've told in your whole life? Plenty. Okay. Thanks for the honesty. What do you call someone who tells plenty of lies? A liar. Have you ever stolen something, even something small? Yeah. What do you call someone who steals things? A uh, thief. Thief. Have you ever used God's, God's name in vain? Use God's name to expl- express disgust or because you're angry or something like that? Yes. Okay. So that's, uh, that would be called blasphemy. It's taking the name of our creator and, and disrespecting it, basically. Two more to go. Have you ever looked at a woman with lust? Oh, of course. We all have. Jesus actually said, you know you're not supposed to commit adultery, but I say to you, if you've looked at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery already in your heart. Last question. Have you ever uh, hated someone or been angry at someone? Um, I've been angry and I have hated. Okay. Jesus said, you know you're not supposed to murder anyone, but I say to you, if you've hated your brother, if you've been angry at someone, you've committed murder in your heart. So that's how high God's standard is. We tend to have very low standards when it comes to ourselves. We, we let ourselves get away with all kinds of stuff. So let me ask you this. If God was to judge you today and it was based on his laws, would he find you innocent or would he find you guilty? You'd find me innocent. How would he find you innocent knowing that you're a lying, thieving, blasphemous, adulterer at heart and a murderer? How would he find you innocent? Because he forgives those who don't know what they're doing. If you forgive yourself and, and you've learned to not be those negative things and not to even think of those negative things, yeah, it's happened. But the situation around you will change if you change, right? And when you change, it'll show. But every reaction deserves a, uh, deserves a reaction. So if you kill someone, you might be killed. That's a possibility, right? You said um, you, you need to forgive yourself. But from the Bible's point of view, that's not actually the problem. We need to be forgiven by God. Would you agree that there's probably a lot of people who, who don't think that they need to be forgiven, and yet they, they have sinned against God without even 
knowing it. Essentially, what you're saying is is that you have to be forgiven by someone else, right? Correct. So, you're telling me that me asking this guy for forgiveness is more important than me asking forgiveness for myself first. The, the ability of God was within you. Oh. So it starts within yourself first. Can you hear just the surprise in his voice? You're telling me that I got to ask this guy <laughs> to forgive me. And it's really interesting because he's actually being consistent because basically what he's saying is he is God. And then he's saying, well, if I need forgiveness from God, I got to ask it from myself. So it's kind of an interesting take on the whole self-focus, God is within you kind of thing. So often people will make a big deal about forgiving themselves. And you've probably heard that, you know, maybe someone who was horrible in their marriage or alcoholic or something. And they get to this place where they really understand that they've ruined their life. And their big thing is, well, I just got to forgive myself and move on. No, actually, your issue is with God. You are not going to send yourself to hell. You are not going to judge yourself. You are going to be judged by God, and that's the issue. You need to be forgiven by Him. Are you saying that God is within you? Yes, God is within all of us. Okay, so, so that's, that's definitely one big area that the Bible would disagree on. Why when Solomon, he wanted, to, he wanted to be the wisest man to take care of all of his people. That's correct. He was given that at that moment that he asked for it. He will give you anything that you ask for. So, so that, that's correct. God did give Solomon wisdom, but that is a big difference from saying that Solomon was God. No, so, I'm not saying that he's God. I'm saying that he had the ability of God within him because he asked for it and he then, he then received. He thought about it first. There definitely are times in the Bible where, where God did answer people's prayer and grant them, but that doesn't conclude that all of us can be just like Solomon and, and, and ask for the same thing. And yes, it does. I, well, I, then, well, then why did the Bible say that Solomon was the wisest man in the world? If, if what you're saying is true, then everyone could have been the wisest man in the world. Why, why was it just Solomon? Everyone has the ability to be wise. You have the ability to be the wisest man, right? I would say no. I would say you can better your situation, but there's a difference between being wise and being Solomon, the wisest man in the world. So, so I, I understand the sentiment, okay. but at the same time, now. there was only one wise, wisest man in the world um, who was given that gift by God. There you go. Solomon was the wisest man. Therefore, I can be the wisest man or therefore I can get whatever I want. Just another example of people pulling things out of context. People like to get things out of context. They take a verse from over here and they support whatever it is their belief is, even though that verse has nothing to do with what they're talking about. And the way that you can avoid that is simply by reading through the entire chapter of wherever that verse might be. So for instance, the Solomon verse he's talking about, in context, Solomon was wanting to be a good ruler over God's people. And so instead of asking for money and riches, he asked for wisdom. And so the Bible says that he was granted not only the wisdom, but because of his pure desire, God actually made him wealthy as well. But the whole point of that verse is this is a man who was humble and he wanted to rule correctly, so God gave him wisdom. The story of Solomon has nothing to do with you or I being able to ask God for whatever we want and God giving it to us. God is not involved in the Make-A-Wish program, okay? God does what he wants, when he wants, with whoever he wants, 
it's not our place to think that we can just look at God like some genie in a bottle and he's going to give us whatever we want, right? So now I'm going to continue to try to get back on track to the gospel. But Andrew's not, it's not going to be so easy. He's got what he wants to say. And, you know, for the most part, I'm going to listen, but I'm just going to do whatever I can through this whole conversation to just get back on track to the main thing. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reason I'm doing that is because I actually care about him. I want him to go to heaven. I want him to get saved. I want to go back to where we were headed. And then I'm going to, I'll definitely let you have the, the last word. Okay. So you've, you've admitted... Anything that you want to achieve is within you. First you must think, then you must be. Let me give you the easiest thing that you can ever do. Okay. The simplest thing that you could ever do in this world is take a piece of paper and write down something that you want. Just a goal, right? You take that goal and you put it in your pocket and you look at it every chance you get and you'll become whatever that goal is. And I don't know if he's been listening to a lot of self-help books, but I'm going to challenge that. I know a lot of people think that way. I hope that works for you. But the reality is that doesn't work for everyone because there are a lot of people. They want to be an NFL football player. And there's only a a select amount, a very small percentage of people that ever do. So in one sense, sure, we can better ourselves. But this is a very different conversation than proving a God within you or or that kind of thing. That that is almost like perfect proof right there because what you have thought you have brought into this world it's so interesting whenever i talk to people who think this way and a lot of people do whether they be unbelievers and they're they're kind of going the self-help route or they're christians and they're involved in the prosperity god will make all your dreams come true false gospel type of thing people can deceive themselves into believing whatever it is they want to believe but anyway i want to jump back to one thing so you admitted to being a lying thieving blasphemous love for a heart and yet you don't think that you're, you're guilty before God. And I just want to ask, why is that? Why, why would that be that you're not guilty even though you've clearly broken the Ten Commandments? Because I had no clue what I was doing. So would that, would that work in a court of law? So if I, was to, well, if I was to steal a car and then I was to go to the judge and say, you know what, I honestly didn't know. Maybe I grew up somewhere where I didn't, I didn't know that. I said, Your Honor, I honestly did not know. If that judge throws me in prison, he still has every right to do that because ignorance is not a justifiable excuse in a court of law. We all understand that. If we understand that that is a just thing to do in law on the earth, how much more before a righteous, holy God who knows every intent, every deed of man, you know, who has said things like, all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. I think we tend to look at these rules and say, well, I haven't really done that bad of a thing, but when we do that, we're simply showing that we don't understand how righteous and holy and perfect God is, and we don't understand how sinful and wicked our actions are. We, we tend to justify them by saying things like, well, I, I didn't mean it, it was an accident. But let me ask you this, the times you sinned, every time you've ever sinned, did, did you do it by accident every single time? Okay. Whatever I've done, I've done knowingly that I probably shouldn't have done it. Okay. And some of the things that I've done, I didn't know. But now that I know where I'm at today, I, I'm, I'm told. <laughs> this is something that will commonly come up. Someone will say something to the effect of, yeah, I admit it. I did all these wrong things, but I don't do bad things anymore. 
And that is absolute nonsense. If this person really believes that, they're crazy because all of us sin all the time. So possibly he just doesn't understand what sin is. Possibly he's just proud and doesn't even want to think about the fact that he can make a mistake. But more likely, from his worldview, since God is within him, he is God, he makes the rules, he's doing good by his own standards. He's the judge of himself. And so by that standard, he's doing fine. I'm going to go ahead and blasphemize God right now. Uh, You shouldn't do that. God created Satan. So doesn't that mean he indirectly created all these evil people that you are trying to deem evil okay and like so many other people do the more i get personal with him and try to confront him on his sin he's going to change the subject he's going to go on to some theological thing that he read on the internet or maybe on some atheist website or something and he's going to start throwing out objections with these kind of things i'm just going to deal with them as quick as i can and try to just get past them and i'm just going to keep going back to him I'm going for his heart. I'm going for the issue. The issue is he, just like myself, just like every other person on this earth, they are guilty before a holy God because of their sin. They need a savior. That's the issue. And so as as much as I enjoy getting into all these complex objections, they, they are actually fun for someone who studies the Bible to, to think about this stuff. I'm going to just try to get past it and get right back to the issue of Arthur standing before God. So here's Arthur's objection. God actually created, created Satan. God created angels. Satan was an angel. And Satan willingly turned his back on God and, and rebelled against him. You, 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 can, you can smile and laugh, but that, that's, that's what it says. You know, in the same way, we turn our back on God when we, when we turn against him. Turning my back on God at all. Well, you just said you were going to blaspheme him. So that's a form of turning your back on God. Isn't that blasphemy? Because I'm saying that God is not perfect in the sense that he created Satan. Well, again, God is perfect. Satan rebelled from God. And so you shouldn't blame God for something that Satan did. Two different things. Blame shifting is something that people like to do all the time. I know I do it every once in a while when I get into an argument with my wife. Well, it's the kid's fault, you know. But, you know, ultimately we're responsible for our own actions before God. Now, let's say that you are the image of God, right? Let's say that you- we're created in the image of God. So, so what that means is what that means is we have certain qualities about us that are similar to God. So, for instance, we have a conscience. We have the ability to create. So, sure, we, we do have things about us that are similar to God. But being created in, in the image does not mean we're God's. So the issue of being created in the image of God, that is a very, uh, you know, it's a great subject. It's a, it's a deep subject. There are a lot of aspects to what that means. I just kind of threw out a couple of them, a couple of very surfacey ones. It goes a lot deeper than what I said to Arthur. But again, I'm just trying to get back to the gospel. Now, another thing that I realize is that when a New Age person or a faith movement person bring up the idea of being created in the image of God, they are going to use that as justification for saying they are God. Even Mormons. Mormons believe that someday they will become a God. And so I've, I've heard them use this verse to basically justify them being a God. Well, if we're made in the image of God, then you know, doesn't that mean that we're going to be God someday? 
Well, of course, the answer is no. And if you read the Bible in context, you will clearly see for a human being to aspire to be God, well, that's what got Satan into trouble, right? And so it's very important, again, to read things in context. So anyway, let's get back to uh, Arthur and being made in the image of God. We are in the image. We're, we're in the image of God, right? Now, you need to use that term in the biblical way. You can't just take a term and say, well, this is what I think it means. Well, yes, I can. It's well, you can, but you'll be wrong. No, I will not be wrong because Bible is only interpretation. What's that? Bible is only interpretation. I like that. Well, yes, I can. <laughs> I can do whatever I want. You are welcome to interpret it wrongly, but that's just like saying this sign right here says lifeguard head headquarters. I'm going to interpret it and say it's really not the lifeguard headquarters. There, there is a true meaning to whatever's written in the Bible, regardless of how people have wrongly interpreted it. Let's say Satan himself was created in the image of God. Now, nowhere in the Bible says that. He was God's most favorite. I, I, I'm not going to say something that, that isn't true. Okay. Now, a lot of times unbelievers, skeptics, will try to get you into these what-if scenarios. What if God would have, have done this? What if this would have happened? And then they basically set God up to be an idiot or set the Bible up to be ridiculous based on their imaginary scenarios. So usually I don't go into imaginary scenarios. And so that's why basically I'm not going to run the, down this road with him. In my experience, when you do that kind of thing, it, it doesn't really get you anywhere. Now, another interesting thing's about to happen. Arthur's friend has been sitting next to him the whole time. And at the beginning of the interview, I ask, I always ask people for permission. I get into a lot of conversations. I only post the ones where I've gotten permission. With Arthur here, his friend's been sitting next to him. At the beginning of the interview, I asked him for permission. He said no. Then he started getting so fired up listening to us. He came over, he butted in, and I stopped him and I said, whoa, you told me a minute ago you don't want to be in this conversation. Have you changed your mind? Do you give me permission to, to do? And he said, yeah. And I go, okay, go ahead. So, so now he's entering into the conversation. Well, saying it never became saying on his own. God picked him out of heaven. Correct. Put him into hell. He created hell for him, telling him, you are stuck here for eternity. Okay, so again, he's got a little bit of the Bible. He's going to give his viewpoint from his worldview on what that Bible means. In a little bit here, we're going to find out that he's a, he's a Buddhist. And anyway, so now it's two against one. So I'm going to try the best I can to just keep going here. Instead of having one person who I'm directing to the gospel, now I got two. So it's, it's actually a better situation. It's like, um, it's like when two parents throw their son out when they're 18, kick him out, nothing to do. What can well, that's, that's, they could either become better or they could get down in the dumps, end up homeless, on heroin. So, okay, so, so, so real quick, you've said a lot. I want to answer a few things. Um, the relationship between God and Satan is, is very different. He wasn't Satan's parent. It's very different. Satan was created as an angel. Satan would, that's not, that's, that's incorrect, okay? It sounds to me like you guys are trying to blame God for, well, well you're, you're blaming God for the fall of man. Okay, so let me ask you this. Do you think God is ultimately responsible for Adam and Eve turning back their back on God and rebelling against them? By your logic? By your logic? No, not by Mala. I'm asking you. Well, I'm seeing it from your perspective. And as I'm answering right now, yes. By your logic, the way you explain everything, through your contradictions, yes. When you say your contradictions, what, what does that even mean? 
do you take his point of view that truth is ultimately dependent on what, what we believe and, and we create our own truth? Because you just told me I contradicted something. In order to have a contradiction, there needs to be this thing called truth, right? So, so how do you get truth without the God of the Bible? Like, how, how do you determine what truth is? As my own free will, I'll determine what is right and what is wrong. So there you have it. How does a relativist determine truth? By themselves. I look around the world as a relativist. I determine what is good, what is bad, what is true, what is false. And it's all based on me. And it's interesting because you'll hear a relativist say things like, well, everyone gets to determine their own truth. But the minute a Christian brings forth whatever truth out of the Bible, the same relativist who has said that everyone gets to determine their own truth, they will say to that Christian, you are wrong. Even in this conversation, you got two guys who are telling me in one way or another, you're wrong. You are wrong. And I don't know if it's that they don't see that or they're so blinded by their own sin that they miss it. Or as Romans chapter one says, they're just suppressing the truth. So they miss it. But it's always interesting to me how a relativist will tell me, well, I can believe whatever I want to believe. And then in that same breath, they'll tell me, don't tell me what to believe. Well, if I'm telling you what truth is, then that's my belief. And according to your worldview, according to your relativist worldview, I should be able to believe whatever I want to believe, including the belief that you are going to hell if you are a relativist who rejects the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're on your way to hell. That's what I believe. And according to your worldview, I am right, because everyone's right, according to you. So the whole worldview falls apart. It doesn't make sense. It's ridiculous. It has, it has no grounding and that's what I'm going to start to get into right here. As my own free will, I'll determine what is right and what is wrong. Okay. And so does he get to do that as well? And do I get to do that as, as well? Do we all get to make up what truth is? Like I said, your, your life, you live it as you want to. So my question is this. You, you guys don't seem to believe that there is anything called absolute truth. Do, do you understand that concept, absolute truth, that outside of this reality... There is truth, and it's always the same truth, whether we believe it or not, whether we like it or not. Do you believe in absolute truth? I know the absolute... I, I believe the absolute truth is that I can have whatever thought that I choose. Okay, now he's tricky. He just switched the meaning of what absolute truth is, you know? He's basically now just saying absolute truth is relative truth. <laughs> absolute truth is whatever I want it to be. And so he's got two different things going on here, absolute truth versus his truth, a.k.a. relative truth. And he basically is, is just switching the definition here. He's really not saying anything different than he's been saying the whole time. He just is now using the term absolute truth instead of my truth. I can have whatever thought that I choose. And I think, that, you know, some people could see you as kind of a for what you're doing but some people can see I believe that right but some people can see you as you know just the guy who's trying to spread a good word and you know it, I mean whatever it may be right yeah. people are going to love you people are going to hate you but it's all up to you on what you think of you so so, so wait, wait if, so if I said I hate your videos right now right if I said oh I don't want to like be recorded or anything well, are you going to stop making videos just because I said that or do you or do you gonna are you gonna use your own free will in order to keep creating? 
But again, that's very different than whether or not absolute truth exists. Let me wrap this up because mind is what you believe is absolutely true to you. I'm the center of my universe. <laughs> I, I agree with you there. I actually do agree with him there. He is the center of his universe. The only problem for him is that his universe will someday stand before God. His mind, and that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the universe of his mind, himself. He is the center of himself. And he admits that, and he knows that, and he even laughs about it. But the problem is he someday will be judged by the one who actually created the real universe, and it's not going to go so well if he continues to believe that he is his own God. Let me just wrap up here. Based on uh, the fact that you've broken the Ten Commandments, you will stand before God, and he's going to judge you based on his law, and he's going to find you guilty, okay? How can you escape that punishment? He's going to find me guilty because I already believe that he's not going to find me guilty. I know what I've done wrong. I've moved on from my past, and I'm, I'm a better person because I believe who I am today. He's given me that free will to thinking like that. I wouldn't disagree that you're probably a better person. I don't know what you used to be like, so, so that's, that's commendable. But my question is this. The God that you are trusting in, that's going to forgive forgive you. Where did you get that concept of God from? Um, I got it from myself. And so basically, ultimately, what you're saying is that you are God. In a way. In a way, we, we all have the ability of God within us. So I'm not saying that I'm God. I'm saying that we technically all are, but we're not. We, we have the ability of him within us. So I'm sure there's some distinction, some difference in his mind between what it means to be God and to have God within you. But on a practical level, he's still an enemy of God. He's still in the category of being lost before a holy God. But my encouragement would be to turn from your idolatry, because what you've done is you made a God in your own image. You've made a God that you're comfortable with and that you like and that agrees with you. And I would say that that God only exists in one place, and that's in your mind. And the problem with that is on Judgment Day, that God's not going to be able to save you. We need to turn from our sin, put our faith in Jesus Christ, the only one that can actually redeem us from our sin. So in this life, we're definitely allowed to believe whatever we want. But the problem is that when God does judge us, it's going to be a very different story. And that's why you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross and rose from the dead, and only through him can you have forgiveness of sins. Okay, what if I said that Buddha was better? You'd be wrong. Uh, so you're going to fight over Buddha? And well, I'm not, not going to fight over anything. I, I would just say there is, there is this thing called absolute truth, and it has been revealed to us by the God of the Bible, and that is salvation through Jesus Christ. Okay, wait, wait. So look, hold on. I'm holding on. There, love thy neighbor, right? Yep. Love thy neighbor. So just because he believes in Buddha, are you going to argue with him about it? Are you going to are, are you going to uh, avoid him just because he believes something else? Uh, I'm not going to avoid anyone. I'm not even going to avoid a spiritualist, okay? I love people so much that I'm willing to take a risk and tell them the truth, even though I know they might not like me, even though I might know they might not agree with me. I'm going to love the Buddhists and every, every, everyone else I come in contact with. I'm going to love them enough to take a risk and tell them the truth about salvation through Jesus Christ, okay? Okay, now, because that is your truth, right? Because that is your truth. Is it worth trying to battle his truth? I would say I wouldn't see myself as having a truth. I would see myself as someone who is trusting in the truth of the Bible and, and going from there. And, and based on that, as a Christian, I'm commanded to go out into all the world and preach the gospel 
to every creature. And so that, that is my truth. Go, going up against people who disagree with me, that's part of my truth is to, to obey that command. Does that make sense at least? So what you didn't see there on audio is that the Buddhist gentleman, he actually nodded his head in agreement when I said that the reason I do this is because I love people and I'm willing to put up with whatever uh, arguments that are going to be thrown at me. And he actually looked at me with a very sincere look of agreement and nodded his head. And I, I, I don't know, it just seemed like that got through to him. He kind of understood. I'm not there to argue with him. I'm not there to win a battle. I'm just there to communicate salvation through Jesus Christ. What does God want you to ultimately, um, what, is, what is his ultimate message? What do you believe his ultimate message is? The ultimate message would be that all of mankind is at odds with, with God because of our sin. That, that's the bad news. The good news is that the same God is merciful and he's provided a way for us to be saved from that punishment we deserve. When Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead, it's like as if a legal transaction was made. We broke God's law, Jesus paid our fine. And through putting our faith in him, that's how we can be redeemed to God. A lot more can be said, but that would be the main message of the Bible and Christianity. Everyone who has ever put their faith in Jesus Christ has been forgiven. So technically I'm forgiven right now? No, because you have not put your faith in the death and res resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and the, re the only reason I know that is because you, you, you just told me that you're putting faith in the God of your own making. Are you putting your trust in the promised Messiah that was promised to come in and wash away all sin of those who believe in? That, that's the issue. I mean, I believe my sins are already washed away. Were they washed away by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? They were washed away by the thought of me. Okay, so you just said that they were washed away by you, and the problem with that, again... I, I thought of what was washed away. Like, basically, how do I explain this? Did you put your faith, did you put your trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? I did not. Okay, so based on that... Since, since you've been putting your faith in yourself, basically, and not in the promised Messiah, then you wouldn't have the salvation offered by God. Buddha has the same, the, essentially the same thing. No, because Buddha is not putting his trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Real quick, so here's the difference between Buddhism and Christianity. A lot of parallels. They say do, do good stuff. Buddhism basically says, here's all these good things you need to do. If you can get rid of your desire, if you can do these, these things, then you'll receive enlightenment. Christianity says the opposite. Christianity says, there's no way you will ever be good enough to cleanse yourself of sins. That's why you need a savior. So that's the difference be between, between, between Christianity and pretty much every religion in the world, even the one you're describing, because you're basically saying, I've made myself righteous. At the end of the day, the Bible was written by man, and what I say to you can be interpreted in many different ways. What you say to me can be interpreted in many different ways. I know that's a common thought, but the, the, the fact of the matter is the Bible was written by... It's your will to interpret what I'm saying to you and how... Honestly, that, that's, that is a great point. So, so it is up to me to interpret what you're saying to me. So for instance, if I, if I look at you... And I interpret you and I say, this guy does not have a beard. Well, then I'm wrong. My interpretation is wrong. Now, people might be nice to me and say, eh, if you don't think it's a beard, it's not a beard. We don't want to get into an argument here. 
But the fact of the matter is I would be interpreting wrong. Or you could just walk away, never touch his face and be like, yeah, I was right the whole time. But here's the issue. Language has meaning. Even though it's, it's nice to say, well, we can just interpret it however we want. The fact of the matter is the Bible, just like that stop sign, has an intended meaning. The people who wrote it, when they were inspired by God, there was an intended message they wanted to give out. It's not okay for us to just say, oh, where it says here that people are going to go to hell, it really doesn't mean they're going to go to hell. Like, it's not okay for us just to, to, to twist it in our, in our mind. From this point on, the conversation just kind of fizzled out and, you know, we shook hands and, and I gave him a, a gospel tract and he said, hey, can we talk about this more sometime? And I said, sure, I'm around. If you see me, you know, just we, we can talk. And so they were nice. They were cordial. You know, like anyone else in, in the heat of the conversation, they're going to get passionate about what they believe in. The Buddhist guy, who, whose name I didn't get, he was actually very attentive and listening and, and nodding his head. And just with his body language, he was really tracking. Definitely had some Bible stuff in his head that he's clinging on to to support his own uh, Buddhism. But hopefully the things I said showed him clearly that um, they're not the same. Truth is not up to me or you. There is a God who will judge us. The good thing about it is the same God is merciful and he's provided a way for us to be saved from the punishment we deserve. Thanks for listening to Romans Road. If you want to learn how to evangelize, check out my book, Search and Rescue, available at eddyroman.com. On my website, you'll also find videos and other things to encourage you to preach the gospel to your friends and family. That's eddyroman.com. See you next time. Two great books and one website. Visit strivingforeternity.org. There are two books that I would like to recommend you purchase. What they, meaning people who aren't Christians, other religions believe, and what we believe. Systematic Theology Made Simple. Both are great resources, especially if you plan on witnessing to somebody. Strivingforeternity.org. Looking for strategies that will help you engage in meaningful conversations with members of the Mormon Church? Well, if so, take a look at Sharing the Good News with Mormons, a new book produced by Harvest House Publishers and edited by Mormonism Research Ministries Eric Johnson and Sean McDowell. Sharing the Good News with Mormons includes 24 helpful essays from two dozen Christian apologists, scholars, and pastors. Pick up your copy at the Utah Lighthouse Bookstore or order directly from mrm.org.